Today's scripture reading is taken from Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. If you don't have a Bible, please pick one up from the pew slot and turn to page 913. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is God's word. Thanks, Evian, for reading scripture for us. And a good morning to all of us. Uh, yes, as we've heard, this is the beginning of our new sermon series in Paul's letter to the Galatians. Uh, we're going to focus a lot about the gospel and why it's central for us, for our life together. Uh, as we do so, I want to give away this book. It's called Conversion, so a related topic on conversion, how God creates a people you know, through the gospel. So uh, who like a copy of this free book? It's available at the book table as well. So if you'd like to check out more books, we do have a book table down on level three, so do stop by after the service, but this is for free. So just raise your hands and it's yours. No one? It's no catch. Okay, uh, okay I see Cindy. <laughs> Don't be shy. <laughs> All right, friends, let us pray together and then we'll jump in the Word. Come on, let's pray together. Dear Father, we give you thanks indeed for your truth. We thank you that we can trust you. And we pray that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your Word. We pray that your Spirit would grant us understanding and light. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, there is a worsening global healthcare crisis, and I don't mean COVID-19. Although the pandemic has made things worse, uh, the sale of fake medicines has surged around the world. Uh, the World Health Organization estimates that around 1 in 10 medications, that's about 10% of medications sold in developing countries is fake. You know, at best, Fake medicine is ineffective, it's a bit like a placebo, because it contains no active ingredients. At worst, fake medicine is downright dangerous, causing irreparable health damage and even death. So for example, some 150,000 people die every year 
from imitation antibiotics and anti-malarial medicines alone. So just these uh, two areas of drugs kill about, fake drugs kill about 150,000 people every year. You know, fake medicine is particularly insidious because fake medicine makes false promises. Right? It claims to bring healing and health but delivers disease and even death. But the false gospel is a lot like fake medicine. A false gospel promises blessing, but has no power to save. And this dangerous fake is causing a crisis in the churches of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. Well, these churches were planted by Paul as he embarked on his first missionary journey. You know, he visited a number of cities in South Galatia, Cities like Poseidon, Antioch, like Iconium, Lystra, Derby. You know, he made converts and gathered them into local churches in these places. And you can read about Paul's uh, missionary journey, his first missionary journey in Acts 13 and 14. You can imagine Paul being the one who planted these churches. He had deep affection uh, for these believers and for these young churches. But now he finds that these churches are in grave spiritual danger. These churches had been infiltrated by false teachers who were spreading a fake gospel, a counterfeit gospel. So Paul urgently writes to these churches. And, you know, Paul normally uses a secretary when he writes, so he would dictate his letters verbally, and then his secretary would write down uh, what he dictates. But but here, Galatians is a bit unique because Paul writes with his own hand. He tells us in chapter 6, See with what large letters I've written this letter. Right? Paul, Paul himself pens the letter, his own hand, by his own hand, his own handwriting. This is how urgent the situation is, that he can't wait for a secretary to come and take down his dictation. It's particularly urgent because the Galatians themselves thought that they were fine. They had no idea that they were about to make shipwreck of their faith. Now, this letter is a jarring wake-up call. Now, beloved, we need a wake-up call as well, don't we? Now, how might we also be taking the gospel for granted? Now, does our joy and peace in the Christian life depend on how well we perform? Have we become righteous and proud, self-righteous and proud of our abilities and accomplishments? Or perhaps our pride is more quiet. Have we grown quietly self-satisfied and smug about our morality or about our religiosity? Or have we become critical and judgmental of others? Or have we stopped confessing and repenting of our sin, maybe thinking that we have none? Now, how might we, like the Galatians, need to return to the true gospel? of faith alone. So I pray that as we start this new sermon series, I pray that God will use this in our lives to help us to know, to guard, and to treasure the gospel. You know, may our hearts be refreshed and strengthened. You know, Paul says in Romans 16 that the only thing that strengthens us is the gospel. It's able to, God is able to strengthen us with His gospel. So I pray this for us, that as we encounter the grace of God and the gospel, that we would be encouraged, that we would hope in Him.
And may we grow in praise and thankfulness for Jesus, who is the only Lord and Savior. And so in the first opening verses, in the first 10 verses, Paul begins by jumping straight into the themes of the letter. Uh, So in these first 10 verses, he speaks of three key truths that will then echo throughout the letter of Galatians. So Paul introduces these three key themes in the letter that we'll see again and again across the six chapters of Galatians. So these are the three key truths that he states right at the beginning. Number one, the true gospel is from God. Number two, the true gospel saves. And number three, the true gospel can be lost. Uh, So these are the three key points for our time together this morning. This is the sermon outline as well. The true gospel is from God. The true gospel saves. The true gospel can be lost. So let's begin by looking at verses 1 and 2 and see how the true gospel is from God. Paul begins, as he does in some of his other letters, by calling himself an apostle. In the New Testament, uh, the word apostle is a special title that almost always refers to the men whom Jesus personally chose, called, and sent to preach the good news. Uh, The apostles include the the 12 original disciples, as well as Paul, whom Jesus appointed later. What Paul goes on to mention next, however, is somewhat unusual for his letters. After saying that he's an apostle, he then emphasizes the source of his apostleship. He doesn't usually do that, but he does that here in Galatians. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So Paul starts out by establishing his credentials as an apostle and where his apostleship comes from. Uh, This is probably because the false teachers that Paul was dealing with questioned if Paul was truly an apostle. These false false teachers affirm that yes, the the leaders in Jerusalem are apostles, but we're not so sure about Paul. He came later, maybe he made himself an apostle, maybe he has no authority. You know, and if Paul isn't really an apostle, then why should we listen to him? Why trust the gospel that he is preaching? So to this, Paul responds that it was God the Father who appointed him through Jesus Christ. And I think this alludes to what, what we can read in Acts 9 about Paul's conversion. So Paul, or Saul as he was known then, was on the way to Damascus to persecute and arrest disciples of Jesus, but as he approached the city, a light from heaven suddenly shone around him. And then verses 4 and 5 in Acts 9 say, And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then Saul asked him, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The risen Christ personally appeared to Paul as he was on the way to Damascus. And Paul's conversion and calling to ministry happened at the same time. So Jesus appears to Paul personally, he calls Paul to himself, he saves him, then he sends him to proclaim the gospel. So Paul's apostleship and authority come from Christ himself. He has a personal encounter with the risen Lord. 
You know, friends, this question of authority is especially pertinent and relevant to us today. You know, we live in an age where we are encouraged to question authority. Now, nowadays, distrust of authority is seen as a virtue. It's a good thing. So what are we to make of this? You know, who can we trust? Who should we listen to? It's become increasingly common that for many, the self is the supreme authority. And if I say something is right, then who, who are you to say that I'm wrong? Because the self has become the supreme authority. In fact, if you say that I'm wrong, then I can say that you're bigoted. You're discriminating against me because the self is always right. But friends, you know, do you think we can bear that kind of burden? Do you think we can trust ourselves to always know what is right? What if we change our minds? Notice how Paul does the exact opposite of what our culture does today. He doesn't look to himself for his authority, but he looks to God for his authority. And he says very clearly in verse 1, the true gospel is from God because my apostleship doesn't come from man, doesn't come from myself, but it comes from God. Authority comes from outside of us because God's truth comes from outside of us. So how do we discern true from false? You know, there are no apostles, not in the biblical sense anyway, around us. So who do we go to to discern true from false? Well, friends, we have the apostolic testimony written down for us in Scripture. So we turn to the Bible. We turn to the Bible. God's true, authoritative, and infallible word, this, author- this apostolic testimony that God has seen fit to write down for our benefit. We turn to the Bible to know the true gospel. So, beloved, let, let's commit to be people who love God's word, who commit to regularly hearing reading and studying the Bible, not not in an academic way, but so that we can know God's truth well and we can know the gospel well. Any teaching that contradicts God's word is false because there's no authority from God. Even as an apostle, it's helpful to know that Paul doesn't work alone. You know, he's not some maverick guy who goes off, does his own thing and just works on his own. You notice how he mentions the brothers who are with me in verse 2. All the brothers who are with me. You know, Paul is very clear that his authority does not come from man. He's not dependent on man for his authority. But at the same time, Paul works with other men and women for the spread of the gospel. He, he has many co-laborers. You know, why does, why does Paul mention all these other brothers? I think he's trying to help us to see that he believes this gospel, and and so do all these believers. Paul is not unique in believing this gospel. These other brothers believe, affirm, and they proclaim this same gospel. I I think, beloved, this tells us that we are not to be individualistic, isolated believers. You know, we need brothers and sisters around us. You know, if, if the Apostle Paul labors with brothers, then how much more for us, we need the encouragement of Christian community. So if you profess to be a follower of Jesus, you know, let me encourage you to become a member of a gospel-preaching church. You know, join a church. Make yourself known there 
as a member, a church that preaches the gospel. You know, when we do so, you know, when we become a member, what are we doing? You know, it's not just an administrative exercise, but becoming a member is saying that we are allowing spiritual brothers and sisters to look at our lives and to say that the gospel that we affirm is the true gospel. And we are happy to affirm it with them, and they are happy to affirm this true gospel with us. That, that's the significance of membership. To so say that my, te- my profession of faith is real because I believe this true gospel, and I need brothers and sisters around me to say, yes, we affirm that. We affirm your profession of faith. You're not deluding yourself, but this gospel is true. So church membership is good for our assurance because we have brothers and sisters who assure us that this gospel that we believe is not unique to us, but they believe the same gospel, and we share in Christ together. It's good. It's good for our assurance. So the true gospel is from God. Number two, the true gospel saves, looking at verses 3 to 5. So having put forth his apostolic authority, Paul explains how the true gospel has the power to save. And at the heart of this gospel is the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross. Paul says in verse 4, this Jesus gave himself for our sins. You lose the cross, you lose the gospel. You cannot have a gospel without the cross. And you need to understand who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Jesus, who is fully God, took on flesh and came as a man to lay down his life, to give his life for undeserving sinners like us. Now, now why do we need saving? Why do we need saving? God made us in his image for his glory, but we have all turned away from our creator to serve ourselves and created things. And instead of glorifying God, the one who made us for himself, we have self-centeredly worshipped and lived for ourselves. And the Bible calls this rejection of God, this rebellion against him, sin, right? So sin is not just breaking the law. Sin is not just an impersonal, I do something wrong. But, but sin is a personal turning away from the God who has made us. Sin is a failure to worship God. Sin is a failure to give thanks to God. The God who is our creator is also perfectly holy and righteous. Therefore, he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. For him to wink at sin would be unjust, would make him less than a perfectly holy God. So how can a perfectly holy and righteous God be just to forgive guilty sinners? Well, here's the good news. Right? This is the heart of the good news. Right? Because of God's grace and love, He sent His Son to seek and to save the lost. That's why Paul says Jesus died for our sins. Not for sins of His own, because He was perfect, but He died for our sins. And I believe Paul is alluding to this well-known passage in Isaiah 53 that says, of this suffering servant sent by God, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. 
we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. At the cross, Paul says, God, Jesus took our place as our substitute, and he bore the full weight, the full measure of the judgment from God that we deserve. But God placed it on Christ instead of us if we trust in Him so that God can be just because He's dealing with sin. Sin is not being left unpunished. So God is just to forgive us if we trust in Jesus. And and this is really at the heart of Paul's gospel. He gave Himself for our sins. And not only so, but on the third day after the crucifixion, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Paul tells us that in verse 1. God the Father who raised Him from the dead. The true gospel uh, is the good news of how Jesus saves us through His death and resurrection. This this is really the heart of the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the good news. So if we share the gospel with anyone, we must make sure we explain the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus died for our sins. He was raised on the third day to give us life. Right? That, that's the heart of the gospel. You lose the death of Jesus, you lose the resurrection, we have no gospel. Right? So that's, that's what Paul says. This is the heart of the true gospel. And, and God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, showing that His Son is victorious over sin and death. Which is why Paul goes on to say, Jesus delivers us from the present evil age. So what does he mean by that? Well, this present age is evil because it is marked by sin and death. But thanks to Jesus' resurrection, the new age of righteousness, peace, and joy has begun. Right? His resurrection signals the beginning of that new age. And in Christ, we are rescued from this present evil age and we are transferred into this new domain, this new kingdom, right? Not the kingdom of this world, but the kingdom of Christ. And this new age is characterized by righteousness, by life, by peace, and by joy. Paul says we are rescued and freed. And the word there, delivered, speaks of being freed from our captivity to sin and death. I think that's why Paul says elsewhere, in other letters that in Christ, we are a new creation because the new creation has already come through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And if we believe in Jesus, we are a new creation. We belong to the age to come. So even though this age is passing away, we can be assured that we can enjoy the age to come. Jesus has set us free. Friends, Jesus has set us free if we believe in Him, to live a new life that is pleasing to God. You know, and all this, Paul says, this, this amazing gospel, Paul says, is according to the will of our God and Father. Verse 4. Now, beloved, consider this. Does God the Father love us because Jesus died for us? Or did Jesus die for us because the Father loves us? So which is it? Does God the Father love us because Jesus died for us? Or 
Did Jesus die for us because the Father loves us? Well, it is the latter, right? Jesus did not die to make the Father love us. You know, isn't that hugely comforting and assuring? That God set His love on us and therefore He sent His Son. Right? His Son doesn't kind of do things to kind of bring us back into the good books of the Father. No, the Father has always loved us. Right? The familiar verse in John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Right? It doesn't say because His Son came, therefore God loved the world. It says God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. You know, as we sing in that song, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. So in these opening verses of Galatians, Paul assures believers that we are deeply loved. We are deeply loved by a father who did not spare his beloved son, but gave him up for us all. So we don't doubt our father's love. and We can be assured that he loves us and he holds us. As one commentator puts it well, the cross had its origin in our father's heart. It was the will of the Father to bruise the Son, to sacrifice His beloved for us. And beloved, how reassuring this truth is. So why do we sometimes live as though we need to get into God's good books by our works? Why do we think that our works would commend ourselves to God even more? You know, take heart. The cross reveals God's heart for His people. You know, we, we have license to draw near to God without presumption because we know that He has first loved us in Christ. Therefore, Paul says, these things come to us from the gospel, right? grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We receive grace and peace through the gospel. You know, God's grace is His unmerited favor for undeserving sinners like us. And grace cannot be earned. Paul says elsewhere in Romans 11, if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So you try to have 99% grace and 1% works, you undermine grace altogether. It's either all of grace or you have to work for your own salvation. You can't have it both ways. Grace must be grace alone. I think we're familiar with uh, school entrance exams, right? Uh, many of us endure the afflictions of the PSLE, the O and A levels, you know, the SATs, things like that. I, I wonder if sometimes we, we think that Jesus' work is a bit like an entrance exam, right? Maybe we think that Jesus kind of sits for the entrance exam for us. He passes with flying colors and we get in and after that, it's all up to us, right? So Jesus just passes the entrance exams. And after that, it's all up to us to kind of make the best of what he's done for us. But I think that that's a wrong way to understand the work of Jesus, right? He, he didn't just sit for an entrance exam for us to get us into God's good graces. No, beloved, God's grace doesn't simply get us in. You know, we don't start with grace and continue with works, no, we, we begin by grace, we continue by grace, and we end with grace. 
You know, as we sing in that famous song, Grace Will Lead Us Home. You know, see how Galatians, the letter itself, begins and ends with grace. You know, it begins with grace in verse 3, grace to you. And the final verse of Galatians 6 verse 18 says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Paul, is, Paul wants these Christians to see that they begin with grace, they continue by grace, and they end with grace. Works, depending on their works for righteousness, should never enter into the equation of the Christian life. We are sustained only by the grace of God from beginning to end. So, beloved, if, if you are weary in the race, in the spiritual race, I, I think that Galatians is, a, is an encouragement to us to rest in the grace of Jesus Christ to stop striving in our own strength, to be righteous or to merit God's favor in our own strength, or to think that we can kind of earn our good, to earn our good standing with God, but rather to rest in the grace of Christ. Galatians is written for weary saints as well. Now, thanks to God's grace, we have peace with Him. Jesus died for our sins to bring us back to God, and He adopts us into His family as His beloved children. The true gospel saves, and, and because the true gospel saves, the true gospel leads to, to pure worship. Right? Paul ends this little section here in verse 5 by, by, with a doxology, to Him be the glory forever and ever. You know, if God has saved us with this amazing gospel, how can we not worship Him? How can we not sing His praises? You know, therefore, we cannot be indifferent to the gospel because God's glory is at stake. His praise is at stake. So finally, the true gospel can be lost, looking at verses 6 to 10. You know, this past week, I, I, I saw this rather sad, I read this rather sad article about the drowning of an eight-year-old boy in a public swimming pool in China. You know, some of you may have seen this. I think it was on Yahoo News. It was especially tragic because there were other swimmers around and some of them were really close to the boy. In fact, one of them was literally an arm's length from the boy as he, as he sunk deeper and deeper into the water. It was flailing about, but no one noticed. The other swimmers were completely oblivious to the danger that was just unfolding before them. And they didn't notice until it was too late. Well, the, the churches in Galatia did not realize the grave spiritual danger they were in. So Paul must sound the alarm. Now, if, you, if you see a child wandering onto the road and, and then you see a bus barreling down the road towards the child, what will you do? Uh, you won't kind of go to the power, hey, please, could you please step out of the way? You know, there's a bus coming. <laughs> uh, please listen to me. No, no, what will you do? You will shout at the child, get out of the way, you know, look out, get out of the way. You know, no time for pleasantries, just get straight to the point. And this is exactly what Paul does in Galatians. And this is another point of difference with his other letters. You know, in his other letters, he normally goes into a, a few verses of thanksgiving and praise, but he doesn't do that here. No thanksgiving, no praise. You know, even the church in Corinth got the thanksgiving, but not the Galatians. You now, Paul immediately launches into a rebuke. Right? Verse 6, 
I'm astonished. I am astonished, shocked, flabbergasted that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I'm trying to get the tone. You've got to hear the tone of the letter, right? Paul's shock and dismay that these churches whom he had planted, these folks whom he had evangelized with the gospel are in danger of forsaking that same gospel. You know, these are strong words. And Paul is shocked by how soon the Galatians are turning away from the truth. You know, he uses that phrase, so quickly, so quickly. And that recalls Israel's shocking apostasy soon after they were rescued from Egypt. In Exodus 32, it says, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it. You know, Paul may be likening these Galatian churches to those Israelites who forsook the God of their redemption and turned to idols, the idol of a false gospel. Not only are the Galatians turning away from the gospel, you know, notice what Paul says. It's very, it's very clearly worded here in verse 6. They're not just turning away from the gospel as if you know, this is this piece of theology that we don't really like, so you know, we're just changing our theology, changing to another theology that we like better. You know, friends, this is, not just, uh, this is no dry academic theological debate. The Galatians are not just forsaking the gospel, they are forsaking God himself. Right, look at verse 6 carefully. You are turning away from Him. You're deserting Him. Not just a theological idea, not just concepts, not just the Bible's truth, but you are deserting Him, forsaking the God who called them in the grace of Christ. Now, Paul uses strong language. To desert God means to betray Him. By turning to another gospel, the Galatians have become spiritual Traitors. You know, these are strong words. You know, but Paul is not simply throwing his apostolic weight around. We need to understand that he writes these strong words because he is speaking the truth in love. He cares deeply for these Galatian Christians. Like, don't give up the faith. Hold fast. You know, I, I love you and I want your spiritual good. I long for your spiritual good. Hatred is to not do anything when someone is in danger. Beloved, our relationships as fellow members of this spiritual family should go beyond polite pleasantries. Now, may God deepen our love for one another as fellow members of this local church, so much so that we fervently seek out one another's spiritual good in Christ. May we not be indifferent to the spiritual condition of our brothers and sisters. Maybe be willing to say difficult things in love with great care and wisdom, but to say them nonetheless, even if it is inconvenient or uncomfortable to say and to listen to these things. And may God help us to humbly receive the faithful wounds of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses, of an enemy. And as it says in Psalm 141, 
David says, let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Now, beloved, remember the words of our members' covenant that we have covenanted together to commit ourselves to. We will be devoted to one another in brotherly love, to watch over, pray for, patiently bear with, forgive, encourage, and admonish with love, humility, and gentleness. So Paul admonishes the Galatians for welcoming false teachers who are teaching a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. So Paul says in verse 7, you know, this different gospel is, is no gospel. There's no other gospel. Apart from the true gospel, there is no other gospel. Now, these false teachers are probably Jews from Jerusalem, uh, claiming to be Christians. They taught the Gentiles, they, they taught that Gentiles, non-Jews, needed to be circumcised and to obey the Old Testament law in order to be saved. You know, as often is the case with counterfeits, uh, this deception can be subtle and hard to spot. You know, these false teachers didn't come blatantly denying the divinity of Christ. Uh, they didn't come denying uh, that Jesus is the Messiah. No, they, it was more subtle than that. The problem is not what these false teachers took away from Paul's teaching, uh, but what they added to the gospel. Their so-called gospel was, yes, you know, believe in Jesus, but also obey the law. This was gospel plus. Gospel plus obeying the law. Gospel plus circumcision. You know, Paul says to these Galatians, you know, once you add to the gospel, you lose the gospel. You know, as, as we sung earlier, our hope is built on nothing less and nothing more than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You know, John Stott says these wise words you know, when commenting on this passage. He says, To tamper with the gospel is always to trouble the church because the church is created by and lives by the gospel. You know, Paul's really concerned because later on, you, you see how this false gospel corrupts the life of the church. And you begin to see how the relationships between these Galatian believers breaks down because they've believed this, this false gospel. Believing a false gospel undermines love and unity. It affects our relationships with one another. Paul, Paul describes the situation in the Galatian church with these words, you know, Galatians 5 verse 15, you bite and devour one another. Verse 26, you've become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, we, we need to think about this. You know, beloved, if there are unresolved conflicts, if there are unreconciled relationships among us, now, is it because we have stopped believing and living according to the true gospel? Have we added to the gospel? Now, beloved, we need to pay heed to the warning of Galatians, even more so because we may think that we're not in danger of losing the gospel. Last I checked, there aren't any Judaizers among us. Don't think so. No, but beloved, our, our hearts are prone to the same sins 
that threaten to lead us astray. Now, we continue to wrestle with pride and self-righteousness. We think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We're quick to insist that we're right and others are wrong. We get impatient and critical of the faults of others while excusing our own. We grow proud of our morality or religious practices. Uh, we, 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 we take pride in the fact that we're not like them, those other people. We trust in our traditions, in our history, thinking that they commend us to God. We think God's love is conditional on how well we are performing in the Christian life. You know, and, and I put it to us, beloved, that the false gospel is very attractive. A gospel of Jesus plus works is very attractive. Why? Because it panders to our pride. Because it makes us think that, yes, we can do it. Yes, I deserve this. I'm where I am because I'm better than that other person. There is a legalist lurking in us who likes to think that we can earn our place with God. So what do we do? We, we then try to improve the gospel by adding extra stuff that we can contribute, whatever that stuff may be. But Paul says very clearly to the Galatians, an adjusted gospel is no gospel at all. So, beloved, for instance, we should be wise and careful about how we respond to the cultural and societal changes that we see around us. Yes, the Bible very clearly teaches that homosexuality is sin. And that marriage, the Bible also teaches that marriage is between one man and one woman entered into for life. Therefore, if we are to remain faithful to Scripture, we cannot you know, we cannot in good conscience condone the lifestyles advocated by LGBT, the LGBTQ movement. But by the same time, we must remember, beloved, that we are not saved by Jesus plus family values. What sinners need is not legislation or morality, but the true gospel of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. Friends, this is the gospel that we need to save us from our sins. We're not saved because we have a certain moral stance on things. We're saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. You know, think about this. You know, Paul is saying to the Galatians, the Old Testament law cannot save you. And if the Old Testament law cannot save us, then how much more the laws of men? We as a church must not be distracted from our mission to proclaim Christ. That's our mission. To proclaim Jesus, to proclaim this true gospel that truly saves. This is our hope. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus is our hope, not man. So we must get the gospel right. It's a matter of life and death. The eternal destiny of needy sinners and the health of our church depends on this. So Paul boldly declares in verses 8 and 9, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And then in case we didn't hear him the first time, he says it again. 
As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The one who teaches a false gospel, Paul says, even if I teach a false gospel, I face God's judgment. Anyone who brings a false gospel will face the judgment of God. Before we believe the messenger, we should check the message by searching the scriptures for ourselves. Now, you know, these are strong words, right? Uh, so, so we might think, Paul, you know, this is a bit much. Shouldn't you tone it down a little? You know, all this talk about sin and cursing, you know, you know, won't that put other people off? Verse 10 is Paul's reply. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, Paul must speak clearly and faithfully when God's truth and glory are on the line. Now, Paul's aim isn't to please man, but to serve Christ for God's pleasure. Now, he isn't trying to curry favor with the Gentiles by making the gospel easier for them. He isn't seeking the approval of the Jews by giving in to their demands to adjust the gospel and to include obedience to the Old Testament law as well. No, Paul's ambition is to be a slave of Christ. Isn't that amazing? To, to, to have that ambition to be a slave? Right, that, that's Paul's ambition, to be a slave of Christ. You know, William, the Puritan William Perkins has this excellent quote. He says, He that would be a faithful minister of the gospel must deny the pride of his heart and be emptied of ambition and set himself wholly to seek the glory of God in his calling. Now, beloved, we need to realize that the Bible's truth claims will become increasingly strange and unpopular in the prevailing culture. How might we be tempted to keep silent and not speak of Jesus or, or to adjust the gospel to make it maybe more acceptable, you know, maybe tone down the things about sin, tone down the need for repentance, tone down about how the, the cost of following Jesus, maybe play up the prosperity elements. How might we be tempted to adjust the gospel to make it more acceptable? You know, Paul has a good word for us in verse 10. Don't fear man. Fear God. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, for it is God's power to save. You know, there was a time when Paul the Pharisee did seek to please man. Right? That's why he says, am I still trying to please man? That's what I used to do as a Pharisee. I used to boast of my own accomplishments. But Jesus saved him from that. Jesus rescued him from his own pride and self-righteousness. And he says in Philippians 3, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as dung in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God received as a gift that depends on faith. 
Beloved, the true gospel can be lost. So watch out for fakes. Hold fast to what is true. Know and guard the gospel. But, but even more than that, treasure the gospel, friends. Now, beloved, may we be a people who love Jesus and love his gospel. Why? Because this same gospel has saved us, has rescued us from our sin and God's judgment. How can we not treasure this gospel? Only the true gospel is from God. Only the true gospel has the power to save. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we give you thanks and praise for this true gospel. Father, we thank you that you have given your Son for us and for our salvation. We pray that we would treasure this good news. May our hearts not grow cold to it. May we not be tempted to start relying on ourselves to think that we can commend ourselves to you through our good works. But Father, help us to rest in Jesus Christ. We thank you for such a Savior. We pray that you would grow our love for you, for your Son, and for one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.